Welcome to the For Your Thoughts podcast, where psychology, pop culture, and self meet. What it do, baby booze. I hope you guys are enjoying all of the episodes. And if you have not caught up, make sure you catch up on all of the goodness. On today's episode, we are actually taking audio from an IG Live that I did for Valentine's Day. If you don't know, I work with a nonprofit organization called Dead the Silence. And they are a mental health nonprofit. They throw a mental health festival every year that I am starting to work on. And they asked me to host their Ladies First IG Live, where we discussed forgiveness and boundaries with two amazing therapists. And the conversation was so good. I was like, my pod girls and boys have to hear it. So we are going to dive into that. And if you saw it online but weren't able to catch the live, here you go. So let's get into this episode. We are talking all things boundaries and forgiveness. Love you guys. So we're going to get started. Today is basically we're celebrating Valentine's, Valentine's week, and we're talking about forgiveness and boundaries. I'm here with Dead the Silent, which is a mental health organization geared towards giving the voice to the voiceless and um, just towards mental health overall. And I'm Penny Anassi. I'm a mental health advocate and host of the Penny Fury Thoughts podcast, where psychology, pop culture, and self meet. And I'm joined here by two amazing therapists. And what I want to do is have you two introduce yourselves and also the approach that you guys take when it comes to therapy and why you think the topic is important. Um, I guess important to note, I'm only provisionally licensed, so I'm still under supervision. Um, that being said, I tend to do more of a holistic approach when it comes to therapy and sessions with clients. I find especially working with clients or people of color from different backgrounds, there's, there's a lot of, I'd say like shady stuff when it comes to the modalities that we were all trained to sort of do as therapists. Um, and I found that the best way to sort of help people reach their goals is to meet them sort of where they're at um get as much background as i can and then pull from sort of different areas that i've i've been fortunate enough to have training in um to sort of meet those goals and needs more individually um rather than using for instance like cbt is one of the big the big buzzwords the one thing that everyone has been trained to do everybody who has done any form of therapy is most likely heard about cognitive behavioral therapy, um, mm -hmm. but it has been found not to be the best approach when it comes to people of color, mm -hmm. black people specifically, people dealing with racism. Um, so mm -hmm. yeah, I'd say I'm more of a holistic approach therapist. I don't, I don't go down one specific route of modality. Um, I pull from a lot of different places, but in general, I'd say it's more of a client-centered approach. So yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, wh and why do you think boundaries and forgiveness is important to talk about when it comes to romantic yeah, love, platonic love? I think love, that they're love. they're both important for personal mental health. I think individually, <clears throat> being able to forgive is extremely important for your own mm -hmm. sense of peace. Um, it removes extra stress. It removes bitterness, just like that ugly weight that sort of lays on you. And as far as boundaries, just like mm -hmm. being able to advocate for yourself is one of the most powerful things I think a person can do. Um, and finding ways to do that that is respectful of other people. I think that's the, the caveat to boundary setting um, and empathetic to other people's sort of situations, but mm -hmm. still like fighting for yourself is, is what's so important. When you're dealing with right. a whole other person, you're sharing your life with or your moment in life with. Um, being able to advocate for yourself and, and each other in the relationship is really important. Mm -hmm. um, That's amazing. Um, yeah, so a little bit about um, me. I am a licensed marriage and family therapist. Um, what that means is I kind of been trained to look at everything through like a relational lens. So I work with individuals and couples. I specialize in, in uh, couples work, but um, when I work with anyone, I'm taking on the perspective of um, being curious about their all of their intersecting identities. So 
their race, their sexual orientation, their gender, um, their socioeconomic status to be able to really get a, a full view of like what they've experienced, um, how that has impacted them in their relationships, and then how that kind of might inform part of why they're coming into therapy. Um, I've been working in the field for about 15 years now. And one of the things that's a little bit newer is I'm moving more away from um, just traditional therapy. I think um, what you were saying, kind of some of the things we've been trained in don't seem like they always fit and can hold space for everybody's um, complexity. So definitely moving more towards holistic health, more towards wellness, um, understanding that therapy is like a really beautiful thing, but it's not the only way to heal. Um, so, right. yeah, so thinking about That's like true. somatic work, like things that happen in our bodies, helping people connect to uh, what they're experiencing in their body and how that informs what they might need for themselves, um, what they might need in their relationships. Um, yeah. So you guys have seen many patients um, and what seems to be the biggest disconnect when it comes to people sticking to their boundaries, especially romantically? We all have been that girl or know that girl who just can't stick to their boundaries. They say they'll never do it again. They, then they know what's best for them, but it's almost a cycle that's kind of really, really hard to break. Um, what have you guys seen with patients has been like the biggest part of that cycle and the hardest that's one to really break? Question. Um, you know, I think I, the way I practice too is not just with my clients, but like I oftentimes am bringing in myself and like experiences I've gone through with myself as a way to guide people to say, hey, like I'm a human being too and I'm struggling with some of the things, same things you're struggling with. So I would say for humans, uh, I see that being able to stick to boundaries is challenging because we're not only operating on a conscious level, we're operating on, on a subconscious level. Sometimes we're operating um, at the current age that we're at, but emotionally we're operating at a childlike state, right? So like, it's really challenging to set a boundary and stick to it and be, you know, steadfast in it when there's all these different aspects of your consciousness playing out at one time. So one of the things that I'm right. always helping people recognize is like, what are the different aspects that are playing out? So if it's your childhood self, right? That might say, I just want, I just want and need attention, right? So you're saying, I need to cut this person off or this relationship is it healthy for me, but you're just wanting a hug, right? So that, that's, right. that's a mindfuck. <laughs> so really if I'm like, I need is. to clear my boundaries, but I just need attention. I need love. I need a hug. That's going to be really hard. So you don't so know. Sometimes you don't know what you need. It's kind of like you have to sit with yourself long enough to even know that what part. that is. So you got to like, mean. part of it is you have to slow down and you have to um, honor why am I going against this boundary? Why do I keep going against it? Something in my process is not being attended to. If I can slow down mm -hmm. and understand why, maybe give myself what I need, maybe just name that I need attention it might make it a little, little easier to do something that's healthy for you, right? So mm -hmm. that's what I've seen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I also think yeah. that like the complications in relationships in general, right? Like there are so many different stages and when people choose to start setting boundaries tends to be once conflict has already happened versus mm -hmm. in the beginning, um, mm -hmm. when it might be a little bit easier to be uncomfortable and and sort of stick up for yourself and maybe risk being alone. I found that a lot of my clients after um, dealing with a breakup, whenever asked about like, what's the one thing that you miss about your relationship? Oftentimes it's not even anything specific about the person, it's just the companionship. Mm -hmm. um, and like miss it, like they're, they're sad, mm -hmm. they're alone. They miss being able to cuddle with someone and talk to someone. Um, and usually those are the words that are used, right? Like, not like, oh, I miss this person specifically and name them. Um, and I think that's a really right. big highlight because we get so used to, and I think we live in a society that really sort of forces the idea of like, in order for you to be fulfilled, you have to be in this beautiful relationship with someone that is, looks a certain mm -hmm. way. Um, and people are 
are oftentimes unknowingly willing to put their hopes, wishes, dreams aside in order to be in a relationship. Um, sometimes right. even with people that they don't even like that much. Um, <laughs> and I think yeah. that, that comes down to just like, you know, a, a bit of conditioning, right? Like this fear of conflict, mm -hmm. the fear of being mm -hmm. alone, the guilt of like being uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. um, so I think Probably. making yeah. that practice of, of sort of enforcing your boundaries from early on makes that a lot easier um, when there's, you know, Absolutely. a little bit less feelings, complications involved and practicing that all across the board, right? With family, which I'm sure we'll talk about with friends, mm -hmm. um, in professional mm -hmm. spaces, even like finding ways to advocate for yourself is, is something we should all learn to be more comfortable with. Yeah, I feel like it's also just human nature to want to be in companionship and in partnership. Like, I think it's a part of our nature overall, I would say. Um, I was thinking about this, I was like, there's really like a fine line between this is this can go into friends, family, everyone. So yeah, there's a fine line between giving people grace, especially when it comes to friendship, and then also holding people accountable. So where do you guys see that line? And when, and when does it become not not so much grace it's like more so quote-unquote toxic i hate that word now but you know what i mean yeah so That's yeah um i feel like one of the, the things that i say most common i think when i think of like my my sessions with clients is give yourself grace to feel these feelings a lot of people have shame in regards to like mm -hmm. feelings that happen um, especially anything that sort of pertains to mental health um, that falls like under that umbrella that other people may not outwardly be dealing with. Um, I think there's there's sort of a lot of shame in regards to just feelings in general and, and big feelings that create sort of um, maybe more obvious reactions like crying or anger, things that other people start to notice. Um, and so I think giving yourself the the grace of like being allowed to be upset being allowed to experience more like difficult feelings and situations um is the first step mm. um but it's not the only step right yeah. like you have to be able to be like okay yeah. this is how i'm feeling that's okay i can process that i'll deal with that i'm working on that um but as far as like how people treat you and what you sort of allow into your your circle and what you allow to affect you like that affects the grace you can't just always be giving yourself grace because you feel bad but that you're surrounding yourself with people that constantly make you feel that way oh, yeah. um at some point mm -hmm. you're not the mm -hmm. only person in the room and so you know you can't take all of that blame and ownership um and so sometimes mm -hmm. being able to give other people the grace of like, this is where you're at and this is where boundary setting comes back in of like, but I'm not there. That doesn't work for me. And I don't want to feel like this. Feel like totally. this. Totally. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think it's, grace goes both ways, but being able to stand up for yourself and like note, paying attention to how you feel is, is going to be the most important in the totally. end. I I I just had this conversation with a good friend about um this idea of holding people accountable. I I personally don't believe that we can hold anybody accountable. I think they, they have to be be able to hold themselves accountable for it, right? And I think in that the to be able to do that, we have to honor ourselves first, which is like what am I needing? What do I need to feel safe? What do I need to feel comfortable? And then what does the relationship need? Whether that be intimate or friendship or a colleague or a client or whomever. You always need to start with self first. Um, and to be able to create um, accountability, like create sp space for someone to take accountability, the, the, the um, need for grace and compassion has to be there. Mm -hmm. I can't call you out on something or I can't, um, I can do it, but it, it's not necessarily accountability. Creating space for accountability is just kind of lashing out. So part of take, uh, creating space for accountability in relationships is about having compassion for yourself. I think similar to what she was saying, like compassion 
um, in grace for yourself, therefore then overflows to the relationship with other people. Mm -hmm. And what does that like practically look like, especially um, with, with friends? Like what does that practically look like to still be there and be a good friend? Maybe not holding someone accountable if they're, if they're not where you are, but how could you express that in a way that doesn't sound like super cliche or, you know, and just in, in a real way? Yeah. I think it's telling people how they make you feel. Mm. And, and that, cause that, what that's doing is putting yourself in a space to be vulnerable and it's also letting someone in to know that like yo you're hurting me your behavior or, or whatever you're doing is causing this me discomfort if the person um cares enough if they value the relationship enough then they then they hold space for that right um, if they have capacity within themselves you know they hold space for that but like saying like you're hurting me you mm -hmm. know your behavior is like making me feel like you don't care or like and it could be something small like uh you know you go out with a friend and every time they're an hour late which is a very very you know like a very typical example mm -hmm. being able to say like that really hurts my feelings when you don't show up for me in this way right that creates space for the person to take accountability for right. themselves let's talk a little bit more more about forgiveness and what role does forgiveness play in our own healing journeys what what, what role does that play forgiving our ourselves our past forgiving our parents what role does it play i think it plays a huge mm -hmm. role um i think when we look at just everything people face on a daily basis especially with social media's involvement now in our like every waking moment we yeah. are inundated with everything um there is a plethora of everything good bad ugly sad everything um and i think it's very easy to latch on to um certain relationships that you get to see or you know the the face value of certain circumstances and being like all i have to do is like be like that and that's good but i think without sort of having a moment to have these difficult discussions with people to advocate for yourself to make space for people to be more accountable for their behavior um to be forgiving is really a release of all of that like anger and resentment that builds up inside of us mm -hmm. all the time um from things that don't even have to do with maybe the thing that you are forgiving for um i think what's important is, is like forgiveness isn't just you know, just because you've forgiven someone now, it's it's done over, you've reconciled, there's no issues. Um, it's more about allowing what's been happening or what's going on, whatever the emotional sort of drainage that's been happening, you're allowing that to be free. Mm -hmm. um, and you're allowing it space to hopefully become, you know, a happier, healthier, like interaction with someone. Um, but really it's more personal than that. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it just gives you the space to to find peace within yourself um, and, and allow that other person, you know, the opportunity to, to open up to you in the same way as well. Mm -hmm. But that's not a requirement. Right. It's really, really more, I think, central. Yeah. I, I um, just realized that I did not know how to forgive at all. Mm -hmm. And it's not something that I had done really up until maybe this year like learning how to really forgive not just like saying the word yeah but like um i was listening to a podcast and the the um host was talking about forgiveness being taking someone who's like betrayed you or or harmed you um or snatched away safety from you and then thinking about them as you did prior to the infraction and i was like Oh, that's what forgiveness is? That's what they're saying? I was like, no. Yeah. I was like, oh. And it was so that's funny different. because I would talk about this with clients. And I, at that point when I listened to this podcast, I was like, forgiveness. I know I, I, I had to have forgiven people. I, I know I have. And then I started thinking about it. And I was like, no. Like, I rationalized it. Mm. 
um, named it, put people in the box for it, right? Or or put them over here once they've hurt, open myself back up or, or think about them um, in a space where I know I, I've given them, I've taken them off of this expectation that they have had to do something for me. Mm-hmm. And thinking about them kind of back at score one was like, oh, that shit is next level. So how did that work out for you this year doing it for the first time? Well, Girl, what was it was so it? hard. It was, it was, it was gut wrenching. But I, I think it was like um, realizing, as you were saying, like it was weighing me down. Um, and it was really something that I realized one of the reasons I hadn't ever done it was because growing up um, in, in spaces with the, the church, I felt like it was used to be weaponized right. and uh, taken as like not allowing people to have a process of feeling their feelings, but like, okay, something happened, you have to forgive. So my reactivity to it was to just take it and say, fuck that. I'm not, I don't have to do anything. I'm like very much um, an anarchist in that way. If like, if you say this is the rule, then I'm going to say, why? Mm -hmm. So living, realizing that living in reaction to that was getting in the way of me actually going through a process of learning how to forgive. Mm -hmm. And I started with writing down all of the things that, all of the people who I still felt like I was holding on to something. And um, this, the sentence was, um, you hurt me because of blank. And mm. then the second process was to say, I forgive you. I now am letting you go and let go of the expectation that you could have done this for me. And now I'm acknowledging that I can do it for myself. Mm. And it took me a long time to write it out because every, like when I would go to write it, it was like, oh, hell no. Like I would get Yeah. Angry. You're like writing. Yeah. You're like, I know. I'm like, I'm like, oh, like, no. <laughs> I got to like two people and I was like, uh, yeah, I'll just put this aside. But I think um, realizing that like once I did one person and then like I, I let myself grieve, it was a lot of grief, right? To yeah. be able to say, this person can't heal you, only you can. Because mm-hmm. um, I think we're all secretly waiting for someone to come and save us. You know? Yeah. We're always thinking like, oh, my husband can save me. My, you know, my wife can save me. My kids can save me. My father can save me. My mother can save me. And, and they're just humans. Right. So the forgiveness process really, I think, gives space to our humans. Yeah. Um, but it's a hard, it's a hard thing. It's not just something that you just say. It's like a really deep emotional process that I, I believe comes with a lot of grief. Mm-hmm. And with like forgiveness, I think people, a lot of people have to forgive their parents for a lot of things. That's, that's, uh, that's a huge topic. Um, how do you think parental wounds like affect, affect, affect how you forgive, affect how you love yourself? It's, it's a really broad, um, topic there, but you guys can take it wherever. We can take it wherever we want to go. <laughs> yeah. I mean, our upbringing essentially influences all of our, or most of our beliefs and behaviors. Um, we are, are fortunate enough, I think, to be adaptive, you know, beings mm-hmm. and can change those behaviors over time. But if we think of the amount of time we spend with our caretakers and our parents and the people who raised us, that's a lot of time of conditioning. Um, that's a lot of, of potentially like hurt that you're dealing with that was never dealt with through your parents um, and taking on their trauma and, and their pain. Um, and I think a lot of it comes down to sort of one, I mean, Audra, you said it like our parents are people. Yeah. Um, Right. They're also people that most likely came from a completely different generation very. that had very limited access to self-care or mental health or sure. um, sort of even you know, the way community was, was very different. Right. Um, and so, you know, it's likely that our parents didn't have access to the support in the same way that we or some of us may be more fortunate to have now. Um, so I think part of it is like, giving giving sort of grace to our parents for their own 
you know, experiences and what, what might be holding them back from, from being the best versions of themselves um, and sort of finding a way to forgive those experiences that you may have had. Um, but also being, you know, able to look inside yourself and be like, wait, I've been like this since as long as I can remember. This is Absolutely. a behavior that I've been doing since like I was five years mm -hmm. old. I remember. Mm -hmm. um, and it doesn't matter if you got it from your parents or if it was, you know, something that you picked up and continued on, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you view it as something that's problematic or wrong, it's now up to you. Right. Um, to, to work on that so mm -hmm. I don't, can That's i press true. something i don't know how to <laughs> yeah can i like that and i don't know hi everyone's in the room make sure y'all like leave questions we're gonna be taking calls later just wanted to like acknowledge y'all thanks for yeah. being here hey y'all <laughs> yeah i was but I, yes i so resonate with everything you said i think that i think to your question it does impact us and it doesn't have to be take up so much space oh, right yeah. and i think but i think that is one of that's a really hard thing to hold which is um anything that we're conditioned and are around for you know foundational years zero to five formatively is like a really sensitive time in terms of like human development we're like sponges mm -hmm. at that point we're soaking up every single thing but the beauty about that is that you can unlearn a lot of shit too. And we have choice and we do have adaptability, right? So it plays a role. And but once you can have a consciousness about the impact on yourself and your relationships, the amazing part is that you can do mm -hmm. something about it, you mm -hmm. know? And you don't have to, um, and I think we can also start to shift collectively um, as. Uh, humans we can start to shift the narrative that our parents are supposed to be everything supposed to be the healer supposed to have the answer supposed to be the superheroes we we reinforce that narrative so then every time that we realize oh shit they're just humans like working a nine to five right. not just like us we're like right. Oh, right. my my dad <laughs> my dad like you know is a man not a you know so so I think we could deconstruct that a little better and like really start educating kids pretty early on that like parents are They're just human. humans and, yeah. and to start to access their own strength within themselves. I think we would be a lot less um, smacked in the face with that reality. Mm -hmm. Let me read this. Somebody said, Bill, again, I align and truly see it. I'm a pre-K teacher in DC. Love what I do, but love even more the impact that I know I can make daily with my students. I love that. Yes. I Yay, teachers. We yes. Oh, is that, that's Leah. Hey, girl. Yes. Um, oh, so this brought to me, like, on a, on a deeper level, as far as, like, daddy issues and as far as, like, attachment issues and things like that, is that like a like how how does that come into play outside i thought i of just forgiving maybe a parent who wasn't there or didn't do something for you is there a deeper connection when it comes to that psychological bond between a parent and how and how does that affect your love life mm. yeah um something that i talk a lot with my clients about is this this idea of reparenting mm -hmm. and and um it's a really profound concept because it helps you to understand uh what you got from your parents it helps you to do a, an assessment of what you got that was healthy and then also some things that might have been deficits in areas <laughs> that like like you know if you grew up um in the northeast more than likely you had a vitamin d deficiency like you you just you just kind of were born with that there's not enough sun there's not enough light right so understanding like based upon um how you grew up whether it be daddy issues or you know attachment with the mother um you can understand what you need and then figure out how to be able to supplement that for yourself mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. uh, uh reparenting i think is a really good a good tool to be able to like speak to this idea of like daddy issues. You know? I think we all have, yeah. we all have, have mm -hmm. issues. Um, 
And so daddy, mommy, yeah. grandma, mommy, grandma. daddy, <laughs> you know, dog issues. Um, so, so I think that like understanding, oh, like what's, I, I say deficiency is a, it's a, um, heavy word, but I think it's true. I think we all have like areas where we might need a little bit more vitamin D, yeah. you know? Um, so yeah. And just knowing yours and being able to figure out what ways to plug into that. Like if you, if you do have daddy issues, how can you get some of that recreated in your network? Right. Maybe there are people, I feel like my, um, my friends mother me all the time in mm -hmm. areas where me and my mom might not have, I'm not able to get what I need from her. I have good girlfriends who mother me all the time. Mm -hmm. Right. If I, I can receive it that way, I'm actually getting all the nutrients yeah. that I need in that area. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I feel like I also have noticed a lot, um, where the daddy issues is one of the first things I feel like my, my clients bring up um, when it comes, especially to relationship issues, where they're like, you know, I have daddy issues. And I'm like, that's a bit of a cop-out. Like, yeah. <laughs> you had a dad, the odds are that you have some issues in regards mm, to, like, yeah. you know, your dad and your relationship. Mm. Um, but I think I think it's it's sort of an easy thing to latch onto because I do think it's that common, right? I think it's that simple that you have another person raising you um, who has their own set of issues, their own set of problems, you're gonna have to deal with something. Um, sort of regardless of how amazing, you know, you look back and think of your parents and like how perfect your childhood was or, or any of that, there's likely gonna be something that's stuck um, and might impact you like current day. Mm -hmm. But I think, yeah, I think what's more important is like, you know, identifying what where you have like deficiencies where you're lacking um what it is that you need to feel like more um whole or more fulfilled in your relationships and finding that um i think community is something that i think we we've found maybe a little bit more um importance in post COVID. Yeah. Um, and I think yeah. that like finding a good community and, and fostering relationships that feed your soul um, are going to be a lot more important than like the possible daddy issue that you have that you're holding on to as an excuse for any issues you're having in your relationship. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Anthony says, do you think it's necessary to repair that relationship with your father when the father isn't willing to grow and evolve? Father or mother. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to take that one? Um, I, I could okay. start it. <laughs> um, I don't think you, there is a necessity to repair any relationship with anyone that is unwilling to grow evolve. or evolve. Mm -hmm. um, I think what that sort of comes back to that for, forgiveness stage. Pina Cole said no. Finding right. a space where you can work through where you're hurt and what may have been lacking in that relationship and sort of forgiving, you know, your potentially forgiving your father um, for, you know, the role that he played in, in hurting you. Um, but I don't think that means that you need to ignore that and, you know, be best buds and, and hang out oh, all the time. So I think that, you know, people people will will do what they do and there's nothing we can do about it um so you know yeah, about, I, I, about being okay yeah. with that like you have to literally like learn to be okay with it which is for like an empath like me and someone who just wants to like hold and care for everyone like that's always been really hard for me but i'm learning to do better totally. yeah i think i think the should is the piece that is like yeah, because I don't think you should really do anything in terms of the relationship. Now, what you're wanting to do and what your body and your mind and your and your um, spirit is kind of communicating to you, you need that's I think that's the where it starts with you, which is how is the impact of your unresolved issues with your father showing up in your relationships and your body? Mm -hmm. How is it? constantly like shitting all over your future mm -hmm. so 
resolving those things within yourself is really the biggest thing. And then once you do that, you figure out, do I have a desire to even connect with this person who may be willing, unwilling, or at a different, you know, vibrational level, at a different capacity. Once I think you kind of be, you're able to settle your own stuff around it and do your own emotional work, mm -hmm. then you have clarity as to whether that's even necessary mm -hmm. or not. This might be a pivot, but um, I know Kaya, you work a lot with addiction and substance abuse. And I want to take it to a lighter note and then maybe a, a deeper note. But when it comes to forgiveness and boundaries, we're all like young, we go out, we're drinking, we have fun. We have some friends who might say like crazy shit or do crazy things when they are under the influence, but that's like not who they are. You know, it's just kind of the, the, the things getting to them. Like how, how do you guys view that? And like, what advice do you have for young people when it comes to that? They have one friend who just kind of be off the rockers when it, you know, when it comes mm -hmm. to like drinking and things like that. Like how, how, how does one um, have their boundaries and forgive? Mm -hmm. And parents too. I feel like sometimes people's parents are that mm -hmm. way as yeah, well. I, yeah. I think the difference between like full blown substance use issues where it's impacting your like daily life, um, and the occasional binge mm -hmm. drinking on the weekend. Um, I think the difference, there, there is a difference there. What is mm -hmm. the same and is notable is how people treat you is important regardless of, you know, what the excuse might be for that treatment. Um, and so if you go out once with someone and one time they get a little drunk and are nasty, like I think still hold a, the space to have that conversation and set that boundary, like that hurt me, I'm not a fan. Like. This can't, I'm not comfortable with this being a repetitive thing, but if it already is a repetitive thing, then like you have to figure out where you stand with that. You know, right. like this is a behavior that you can sort of expect from this person. Um, and especially if it's just like a, a social thing where it's just drinking when you go out and then getting a little too drunk and, and saying some nasty things or, you know, being a little, um, maybe aggressive or having a smart mouth um i mean you still you have to sort of see where you sit with that and if that's something that's bothering you it's bothering you mm -hmm. right that's that's a thing that you can work on with setting a boundary um but i think forgiveness almost doesn't play a role quite yet um because you have to sort of work on the behavior if the behavior doesn't change that's when you have to sort of work on like the next step of forgiveness. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, I think going out and drinking and then being a dick <laughs> it is just that, right? Like right. it's not an excuse. You, if that's something that you're doing, then that's the behavior that you, you need to check. Right. Um, and, yeah. you know, hopefully you have people in your life that can let you know, like, listen, this behavior is, is repetitive and mm -hmm. it's not cool. Right. And then what about like a, a parent? who might be an addict, how does forgiveness play into that? Or a sibling? I mean, I think it's important to acknowledge like substance use and, and serious substance use is a, a mental health concern. And it is not something that people are doing to harm you. Um, mm -hmm. It is not something that's mm -hmm. done as like an attack on on your safety it's just that's a byproduct of it um that's good and so i, I think there there is a, a sort of fine line of like how do you um how do you find safety in that scenario because i think that's something that's really important that people don't think about um when you're dealing with substance use um safety can be very unpredictable right mm -hmm. because when people consume alcohol or consume drugs their reactions may differ or change mm -hmm. and that that can be unpredictable so i think first step is sort of assessing your safety um and your well-being and if you are safe um and and the issue is more just like you you have a parent or someone you live with that drinks a lot and tends to either raise their voice or is sloppy or whatever negative sort of effects happen from drinking then it's sort of a sense assessing if that person is willing mm -hmm. to seek help um mm -hmm. and if, if they're willing to have conversations about their behavior while mm -hmm. drinking um and i think once sort of all of that is assessed then you move on to like 
is this someone that I can be around? Mm. Do I like, do I approach the topic of forgiveness? Do I like even want that? Right. Um, do I just need to set firm boundaries and, and protect myself? Um, so I think it's a multi-step process mm -hmm. when it comes to substance use. I, I think if you had a parent, if you have had a parent who is an addict, you first need to understand that you have been carrying a lot of shit for a really long time. And you need to name that you have been in a relationship that has been draining to you and caused you to not honor your own emotions for a really long time. So that's the first thing is to understand what a, what a relational dynamic, in, uh, the impact on the person who is in relationship with an addict does to the other right. person. It causes right. a lot, lot of wounds. So you first need to say, oh shit, I have been doing a lot of work, which means I'm probably tired and I probably need some help, some respite, a break, etc. So just even honoring that, one, it takes up, like, what happens in relationship with addicts or people who, who suffer from addiction is the conversation becomes about them, mm -hmm. not the person in relationship with them. So I, I would suggest that the person takes up more space for themselves mm -hmm. and less space with whomever it is that is in that process because that's part of their journey is to, to figure that out for themselves. Mm -hmm. This brings me to another um, thing, because uh, I think Kaya, you said, you said this that that alcoholism is a mental health issue within itself, um, and what when it comes to boundaries with family members or friends who might be dealing with bipolar, schizophrenia, um, things like that, can you guys speak to that at all? <laughs> and then we'll go back. Live. Right. But yes, we gotta go there. Yeah. <laughs> um, woo, um, suicide ideations, like the, you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think that's, it's the same. I think it, it would go back to underscoring, like one, the, the multi-step process that you talked about, I think is, is so true, but it's definitely going back to like, to honor, oh, I have a person in my life who is suffering. What does that mean for me? What am what am I going through as someone who is um, in relationship with someone who has schizophrenia? That is really yeah. heavy, you know? Yeah. And so um, I find that um, something my, my husband and I have been practicing uh, is this thing we call attending to ourselves. It is like the smallest little thing, but it makes such an impact, which is anytime we start to try to caretake each other, which is like, I, you know, let me help you. Oh no, I see you're struggling. We, because we're both in that role, play that role in our families, we say, oh, I need to attend to myself. And that gives us permission to understand, wait, what do I need before I leap into caretaking someone else? Yeah. So I would, I would offer that up to people in relationship with anybody who's suffering is to just get your feet on the ground first so that you can figure out what you have left over to help this mm -hmm. other person. That's so good. Yeah. I agree wholeheartedly. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna take it back to take it back light. Okay. So um <laughs> people respect people because it's like, whoa, child. Okay. That, those are great questions. I'm like, whoa, this is deep. Let me see. Yeah. <laughs> People respect people's boundaries. Men, I've heard, I have brothers, they love, they think that boundaries are sexy when it comes to like the, the girls that they do date. Why do you think that is? Like, why is it sexy for like a man or woman to hold true to their values and their boundaries? It's hot. <laughs> I think Very. it's just, it's demonstrating like a level of self-respect and confidence right. um, to be able to like, sort of stick up for yourself in that way and be a little bit maybe uncomfortable. Um, I think that 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 shows a strength that is attractive, especially in someone that you are maybe pursuing as the partner. Mm -hmm. um, knowing that maybe that 
they are more likely to get their feet on the ground um, and be more solid of a companion and be able to help you through difficult times. Like, right, someone is willing to sort of do that, the more difficult work before, you know, before you even get fully meshed together. Um, it, it just makes it feel more secure. Um, yeah. Someone says, feels like you got your life. Right. Like, yeah. yeah. It's like, literally. You know? Who's this like rock uh, that you could hold yeah, on to? Absolutely. Uh, someone I can depend on, like, oh, period. Really? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's integrity. It's like integrity in a world where everything is coming at you, especially social media and all the, just all of the things and the messages for someone to have a, a center and say, this is my line for myself is like, to your point, it's like, oh, wow, this person has a solid core and it just, it makes you feel, I think, calm and safe around mm -hmm. someone like that. Mm -hmm. How does one communicate the, their boundaries without sounding like a prick? Like, how do you communicate where you stand, especially in the beginning of dating, without sounding like a super stiff, strict ass person? You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> what are some tips that you have for the ladies when dating to keep the boundaries still sexy? Ooh. That's a really good one. I think that one of the things I've noticed with working with couples is that, um, and this is very, you know, we all are different, but this mm -hmm. is something that I've seen um, in terms of a pattern. People who identify as uh, male and people who, who identify as female in this world, we've um, either been socialized or there might be an actual fundamental component to our DNA around this, but I notice men tend to communicate behaviorally and women tend to communicate verbally, which is mm -hmm. I'm going to keep telling you my boundary. Here's my boundary. This is what I need. This is what I want. And men tend to just do. Mm -hmm. So if they want to call you, they'll call you. And if they don't, they won't. Right. So like the, the communication is in the behavior. And I think, um, so I think, being able to understand who you're communicating to and how they can receive the message. Right. If I am communicating, um, and again, to my husband, I'm going to communicate more behaviorally so that he can hear mm -hmm. it. Um, mm -hmm. And I've asked him to move towards more verbal communication in his boundaries so that I can, it makes more sense to me. Mm -hmm. So we're, com I'm communicate, we're communicating our boundaries I think in a way that is reflective of who we're communicating right. to. Right. Yeah. And I think that comes down to sort of like part of the, the relationship of communication, right? Like actively listening to each other, being empathetic to each other's situations, um, noticing that about your husband and being able to pivot and right. be like, wait a minute, like what was what we were doing before wasn't working. Like yeah. I, you're not yeah. seeing what I'm saying yeah. over here nagging you. Um, and then you're over here doing something, acting like, why isn't she getting yeah. it? Like, um, and so I think that that communication of being able to meet someone in the middle and compromising just a little bit so that you can understand where each other is coming from. Um, but I think, you know, boundary setting, if we're going to say it's this like sexy yeah. topic and then I think we need to stand on that, right? Mm -hmm. Like not being affronted when someone sets a boundary or lets you know that mm -hmm. something is important to them um, and not taking it to the point where it's like a personal attack right. um, but more for what that person is, is looking for or lacking and feels like they, they need. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I love that. So when it comes to relationships and building, and building one romantically, what's the difference between and seeing it through and like just working through the kinks and just being like stupid, plain old stupid, you know what I'm saying? Like, what's the difference between the two? <laughs> I think it's more of repetitive behavior. Yeah. Um, if you're repeating a negative behavior that results in negative actions that makes you feel terrible over and over and over yeah. again, um, that might be a moment to to stop and, and reassess um, because nobody likes to feel horrible. So yeah, I think, you know, that's, that's step, step one a little bit is like, you know, is this something that I've, I've done before? Have I found myself in this exact situation before? If I have trying to investigate that more, maybe why, um, see if there's something sort of 
specific that maybe you are attracted to or the circles that you're in and you find yourself sort of seeing the same people and and that's just the behaviors that that is normal in that mm -hmm. circle um and then yeah, yeah i think you know if you're setting boundaries and finding ways to make those that compromise to to meet that person a little bit more where they're at so that they can understand where you're coming from more and you're not getting anything or they're not putting in anything. Um, I think that's when you start to have to have to take a second and be like, wait, like, is, is, is this going to work for me? Like if you're putting in, it's the same thing as like, you know, if you have a, a difficult relationship with a parent and you, put in work but they're not willing to like is it worth it it's like mm -hmm. same thing with any type of relationship if you're willing to put in all that work and someone else isn't and they're not making any effort to compromise or listen to you hear you understand you then like what benefit are you getting right I, I think there's also understanding that being stupid if we're going to call it that like which is Sorry, that like was what you were describing bad word pardon no me. no no <laughs> Just with the like, that the, like maybe just keep running your head against right. the wall, like hitting your, um, understanding that that might be serving you. That might be serving. That might you? be serving mm -hmm. you, right? There may be some benefit you're getting from the thrill of hitting your head over the wall mm -hmm. against the wall. Understanding why do I keep doing this? Yeah. Does it give me something to chase? Am I getting? a thrill from that right Do, and then make an informed decision from there but like a lot of times when we're doing something that we think is stupid it's really because it's serving some subconscious need for us which is i being a victim can make me off the hook from taking accountability yeah. and not even taking accountability is nice yeah so it's easy I think we, it's easier. It's so much. It's like, oh, I'm yeah. not, like I'm the damsel. So I don't have to, I don't have to kind of take control and say, hey, I actually can make a different choice. Yeah. And when, and, and knowing that you're doing that and when you're ready to make a different choice, you probably will. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When it comes to, I, I think that when it comes to accountability, which plays into all of this, I'm seeing um i want to go into like the whole TikTok psychology <laughs> rhetoric of like calling people gaslighters narcissists and love bombing i've seen a lot of the girls just say say that a man is that when really they weren't holding their boundaries and they got played <laughs> high key that's really what happened <laughs> so can you guys speak to that terminology and can you guys break down those three words like you guys can break it up whoever wants to do that so we can really know what, what was the mean. three gaslighting. gaslighting narcissistic narcissism and love bombing okay who wants to take which one <laughs> um <laughs> I, I guess i'll start with gaslighting um gaslighting is an, an interesting one because i feel like it came out of nowhere mm -hmm. and then was everywhere um i think these are good terms because or they're good terms to bring up because they're pretty intertwined and i think they're used almost interchangeably in like common space um they are not used interchangeably or very often in therapy in my experience but um right. so i feel like with with gas lighting specifically um it's it's a form of manipulation but it's more than that right mm -hmm. the, the end goal is sort of to control someone, to find mm -hmm. a way to to get someone into a space where they um, are almost more susceptible or more open to receiving a certain type of treatment or um, less likely to get pushback from that person. Um, I, I sort of view it as like a deliberate and systematic, um, like, being fed like false information mm. um right like it's doing something with the intention to get someone to a place where they are they don't even know where they stand anymore mm -hmm. right it's like so confusing and disorienting that you no longer know what's left and what's right and you're relying on this person now 
um, for the information that you need. Yeah. Um, so I think people can find themselves in those situations um, at much smaller degrees where people will sort of make comments or, or realize something's triggering or, or ticking someone off and, and sort of like lead, lead with like minimizing it or, um, you know, doing sort of behavior to, to pull someone out of that, but right. in a negative way. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the, the idea is sort of to get you off your, your footing so that you're, you're a little bit easier to control. Um, mm -hmm. But I think it's, there's a, with all three of those words, there's a spectrum, right? Mm -hmm. There's, there's the extreme level of like what more, um, what's more typical in violent relationships with abuse. Um, and what ends up getting, you know, people that survive those situations, they end up getting put in this place where, like, after that treatment over and over and over again, you sort of get stuck. Um, and you, you no longer, like, know where you stand on right. anything. Um, so I think it's, I think gaslighting can be used a little flippantly. Um, I think it's allowed to be used flippantly, but I think what's important to take from it is really the intention behind it. I think very often we intentionally gaslight other people. We minimize their issues, we minimize their problems, their comments, um, or we play th things off or, or whatever. But I, th I think it's more like the intention behind it. Um, and if someone is, is coming from a good place where they maybe just aren't seeing your point of view or aren't as open, um, that's not the same as someone who does see your point of view and wants to change it um, and is doing so by breaking yeah. you down. Um, so. mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so let's dive in. <laughs> Love bombing. Uh, I think so, so. So I think all of the commonality here, narcissism. So there's narcissistic personality disorder, which is 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 an actual diagnosis. It's a very small percentage percentage what, of the one population, percent? right? Like one percent, <laughs> wow. you know, that actually would be diagnosed with that. And we are calling everybody a narcissist. Yeah. Right? Now we all have narcissistic traits, all of us, right? And and that could be just from um, again um, deficiencies, but but in in terms of like the levels of manipulation, I think love bombing, I think, uh, you know, what you're describing in gaslighting are, are tools to be manipulative in relationships that we're typically learning to, um, I think sometimes they are subconscious, actually. Like, I think there could be the mm -hmm. deliberate, and then I think there is the subconscious, which is, I, this has been done to me, mm -hmm. um, love bombing is when I am using um, language and wording that I know might endear you to me. So I tell you essentially what you want to hear. I think we've heard uh, that on movies, love story, you know, uh, rom-coms over and over and over again, mm -hmm. that guys will say what they want to hear to, you know, get a woman to sleep with them. I think it's, I think it's been something that we culturally have thought was mm -hmm. fine. Mm -hmm. And now we're starting to put language to how hurtful and how devastating it can be yeah. to use that as a form, to use love as a form of, an, a, to have someone endeared to you. So it's not about love, it's about control. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think also that in, that that ties into sort of the, the intention, right? If your intention, when you go out to, to meet, pick up someone, um, and it's to just sleep with them and never see them again. Dropping the album um, is one way to to fast track that, right? And that's Absolutely. when love bombing to me is like that's when it's problematic. Yeah. Right. The intention isn't like, oh, I actually have really strong feelings, and I'm not really aware that I'm throwing it all out at you, and that might be manipulating you in some way. But when you have an intention that goes against even what you're saying just to get a result, um, with the likelihood that you're hurting mm -hmm. someone. Mm -hmm. um, so I view love bombing as a very negative connotation. I know that people can totally do it unintentionally and like it just can be a side effect of having a lot of feelings or being really romantic and 
I think there there is space for people to exist mm-hmm. in that. But um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I, I I view love bombing very much as like my intention here mm-hmm. is like I'm trying to get you to fall for me so I can do whatever right I want. to you right. Um, or, so you know, or, or get whatever I yeah. want that whatever serves me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Ooh, okay. Well, thank you, ladies, so so much. Um, could you guys both? both leave the audience with um tools when it comes to boundaries or forgiveness you can pick or just anything that you guys would just like leave with us um then i have one more question and then you guys can say like where they can find you and then that's it uh boundaries so a book that i think is really powerful to talk about um all of this and how you love i think attached oh i love the book is Love that book. Mm-hmm. really good to be able to help help you understand your own attachment styles, secure attachment styles, insecure attachment styles. And then um, it also gives you an indication as to how to maybe repair some things if you are find that you are insecurely attached. And then another book that is really, really powerful is called Facing Love Addiction. And I think it, it speaks to the ways that we get into relationships that may be unhealthy and are perpetuating kind of systems that don't allow for us to have um, flowing relationships, intimate relationships. Two books, really dope, really helpful. Um, You know, take breaks, they are heavy, but Mm -hmm. really good books. Yes, Shekana, (laughs) write that down. (laughs) I think one of my sort of favorite, one that I'm working on a lot more myself personally is just like that self-love um it comes down to like literally looking at myself in the mirror and saying something nice every day i think Mm -hmm. especially in the work that i do i give so much space for other people and i very often forget about myself um and so that was that was a big thing for me this year was like finding space for myself validating myself checking in with myself um and and getting myself to a place where i feel you know strong and empowered and valued um and i think in turn, that will help me also work on boundary setting um, and and creating that space for my community to be able to to be open with me and honest with me because um, I'll be more receptive to it, yeah. hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> and you both are amazing um, clinicians of color. I know that I've had friends who've had bad experiences with therapists overall and they kind of gave up on the whole idea. What would you, and I feel like there, finding a therapist is like dating, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's a part of it all too. So what would you say to that person when they are looking for the right therapist fit to keep, to keep looking, to keep going? Like what advice would you give to them when it comes to We're fighting? human. Yeah. That's number one. We are human. <laughs> you are going to meet some therapists that you hate. You are going to meet some that you love that aren't helpful. Um, I right. think, you know, just being open to the experience is step it's the first step and it's potentially the hardest one um we're still we're still getting over the mental health stigma so there's that um but i think also just like being excited about the possibilities um i think what i've seen now one on social media but also on how therapists reach audiences and the platforms that they use um is there's a lot more information out there now Um, people have videos they have social media um they have web pages that have bios um and taking the time to to try and research you know potential therapists before you sit down for the first session um i think so far all of the clients that i've gotten were able to like see my video beforehand and though i cringed making (laughs) that video and i still do to this day they're all like something just called to me like i just felt like i had to sit down with you um and I think because of that, I've had really good retention rates so far because they were able to see what I'm like, even though I don't think that's what I'm like in <laughs> therapy, but enough, it was close enough. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, taking the time to to try and find the right fit is is worth it. Right. Um, but yeah, it, it's not easy. You're looking through a, there's countless, mm-hmm. it's literally like online. Right. <laughs> so I agree with that. Like, um taking the time doing the research i think um and this is where it requires maybe a little level of vulnerability is to ask your network 
for a recommendation. And I think that's also like a really good way to not have to go through so much, like being re-traumatized through the process of finding yeah. therapist is to mitigate that, is to, you know, scour your network and, and, and say, hey, like, I, you know, I'm actually looking for a therapist. Does anybody know of anybody who, you know, they enjoy working with? And I think that, I mean, that's how I've gotten a lot of my clients. I think that's how um, we try to get, you know, get our own therapist is through referrals because that gives me a level of safety mm -hmm. based upon uh, the other person saying, I, I've kind of already done the, the vetting of this person. Um, and then the second thing I would say is stop giving the therapist so much power, right? Mm. They are only a reflection of what they're holding up to you. They're only like a mirror. They're only a vessel. Yeah. They are not, not the source, right? So shrink their power in this space to understand you get to decide when they give you up something, it's an offering to really like take in and, you know, wrestle with like a glass of wine. You smell it, you taste it, you feel it. Does this yeah. fit for me? Yeah. Um, and so you don't have to, I, I think I find that to be really helpful for clients to shrink my power because then they can start to feel their own more. Yeah. Yeah, I think I always tell clients, um, like, if I say something, and you've either been down that road, or you're like, that is not for me, tell me, I'm not, I'm not able to read your mind, mm -hmm. right? Like, tell me, I we will work on it together. That's why we're mm -hmm. here.